having safely returned from the mirror world of Egadon to their own reality at last. The party split ways with Katagas and formed a plan to reunite with Kelnies. But first, they would take a much-needed retreat to a land shrouded from the vision of the gods, where they could finally formulate a better plan for moving forward and hopefully take a much-earned rest. As they traveled using the teleportation circle beneath the university at Mainstay to these shrouded isles, they were met with a strange race of beings who only Val had encountered before. Insectoid-like creatures, very Spartan in their appearance and in their dwellings. And as they were led to speak with the village elders, they were offered a choice. Leave and have no memory of this place, or experience a death. Of what kind is yet to be seen. This death that you speak of, you said that there was a kind of death. What do you mean? Change is death. Death is change. This same elder gestures with his hands as they speak in your minds. Not all things are mortal and immortal, corporeal and incorporeal. I am willing to undergo this death. Do you require a response from us now? No. You have as much time as you wish to decide. But if you seek the respite that we believe you do, then undergo this death you must. Otherwise, you will leave here the same as you arrived, and your efforts will have been for naught. I would like some time, for myself at least, before making my decision. You will decide as a whole, though do not hold in fault those that you may perceive as holding you back from this necessary death. We understand this concept may be alien to your kind. You would change us into something better. We hold no such power, though we believe that you do. We would simply show you how. And of others who have experienced this death... Where are they now? They are here. Or they have decided to move on with their existences in the ethereal Egadon and have departed from these isles with the shroud pulled back over their eyes. And even though they cannot remember all that they learned, not all is lost for those who go through what they need to in these lands. Luna steps forward. What are you? I've never seen someone of your kind, and I've never read about them. But you feel familiar. Some kind of signature on your being. I've felt it before. The elders exchange a glance, and then look out at Luna and the rest of you. Our kind are known as the Kraley, in your tongue, at the very least. What we call ourselves, one amongst another, is largely unimportant. Or of the utmost importance. Regardless, we are here to serve as guides for those who wish to live a different way. And if we go forward with this, can we ever go back? Undoubtedly, you will, for it is the nature of all beings of ethereal Egadon to return to that which made them. You keep saying ethereal Egadon. Is there another Egadon? The Egadon before before the interference of the beings you regard as gods. I don't know if it will help or hinder your opinion of us to know that we seek an end to 
their vein of power. Help or hinder? No. No, it would not. Though unshackling yourselves from such things would be part, I presume, of whatever death you experience here. One of the others raises their hand, and then you hear their voice in your minds. Tell me, if I may inquire, you hold the gods, as you call them, in contempt. What other relationships do you have with them? Do you worship them? Know them? And then he just gestures outward with his hand, and you you don't hear the word in your mind, but you just get a general feeling that there is a request for elaboration. This kind of unspoken psychic prodding. We each have in our own way a different introduction of how we initially were introduced to the gods of this realm. Myself, and pointing to Vamak and Mick, and these others came from a place that was entirely separate from Egadon, and came here and found ourselves ensnared in the plots of the Ethereals very quickly. Since then, we have come to interact with them, as well as the lesser but still great beings of realities and Valors. And for me, at least, I have not been impressed with what I've seen. This same elder raises their hand again. This place you came from. Were there also ethereals? Not by the same name, but by similar function, yes. Beings who we worshipped as deity. Interesting. Very interesting. Please, continue. As for me, I do not worship any of the gods, but my people hold them, well, some of them, in high regard. I have been marked by the one known as Lomira, and I was told to protect the one that humans call Godborn. At the time, it was only one person, Iron Bane, but he is dead. But then I found this group, and Rolandir. He was a Godborn of Sindor, and others of the group became Godborns of other gods. But other than that, I have no relationship with them. For myself, I do not worship the deities of this world. Nor did I care as much for those of my previous world. The only relationship I have with these gods, so to speak, is a relationship with the consequences of their decisions, and what we as a company mean to do because of those consequences. Luna again takes a little step forward. I I cannot speak for the others and only for myself, but personally, though I had never been one to find myself in any kind of supplication or worship of these ethereals or even realities, Valors, however you put them. Personally, I am the offspring of one such ethereal. Sereth, to be precise. Or so I've been led to believe. And she uh, takes a little step back again. I don't like what they have done with their power and they refuse to give it up. So that is where I stand. As for myself, I do not believe that any of us truly knows what is inside any of the ethereal's minds or hearts. I do not think that we know their machinations as well as we would like to believe. But I have spoken with one, face to face, and have come away with a desire to better the world around me. And I have plans to do just that. Whether or not the Aetherias agree with them, I suppose that is their business. 
but I do not hold them in contempt. There certainly is a part of me that would wish to challenge them, but currently that part is dormant, and perhaps it would be best if it were to remain that way. The elder who hasn't spoken thus far raises their hand, kind of just to indicate to you that they're the ones speaking, as noted there wouldn't have been any other indication of them doing so. And they say in your collective psyche, You are all interesting, to say the very least. What ties you have to the ethereals can be broken. And I can only promise that through this change, through this death, there will be peace and a solace that I doubt many of you have felt in quite some time. And though, as you said... And as you questioned, yes, perhaps you will leave this place, and those bonds will be re-tied. They will remain frayed, however, and when you break them outside of these aisles, then perhaps it will be permanent. But for now, if you wish to leave, and forget that you ever set foot on these sands, if you are successful in your task, whatever it may be at this present moment, those bonds will not be so easily broken. Those ties will be just as strong as when the gods, as you call them, wove them around your minds. The middle elder raises their hand then and speaks again in your minds. We have said all we needed to say, heard all we needed to hear. As mentioned, you have all the time afforded to you in this mortal plane to make your decision, to stay or to leave. We will not force anything upon you. So long as you are here, you will be clothed, washed, and fed for a simple return of your own labors, though at much less cost to your own selves. Since we understand that there is much more at work in your minds and souls than is plain to see. After hearing the promise of peace, Mick will step forward towards the elders and will nod his head and will say, I don't know about the rest of my company, but I've made my decision. I'm willing to undergo this death as you speak. The elder who spoke second to last raises their hand again and says, Your heart is willing and we will take you with open arms. Any who will accept this gift. We offer other things as well. Healing. For the mind and the body, for we can see as plain as day that you are all afflicted in one way or another, in these senses, some of you more than others. For in each of you there is something missing, physical, mental, or otherwise. We can help you find it again. My mind remains unchanged. I am willing to undergo this type of death that you speak about. Do we find this healing you mentioned through this death? The second elder to speak raises their hand. Yes, it will be a part of it. Though not in its completeness, there are many things that death carries that escape the bounds of our existence. There are many wounds that cannot be healed. I understand. But it is not merely about healing. Or rather, healing is not merely about replacing, covering up, but it is accepting the scars that you have endured to grow with them not past them each one of us is different you will not experience the same change 
as those who stand beside you. Luna kind of leans over and whispers into Val's ear. Do you think this could give back what you lost? I don't know. It's a possibility, certainly, but when you touched that pillar outside, you felt better, did you not? I just felt like I didn't have to worry about anything anymore. Things that could be a blessing and a curse. Perhaps. But if what they say is true, that we'll leave here regardless, then at least they'll give us better bones to do it with. I think I agree. The Middle Elder raises their hand. Have you, pointing to Brynir, made a decision, or do you require your time? I have my decision, and I am willing to go through the change, the death. But I need Rolandia to be willing to as well. Luna looks at the others, looks at Val, looks at the others, looks back at Val, and then back at the others. I'm willing as well. As am I. Rolandia, I think this could be a good step. Isred told me that if we continued on the path that we were, that I may end up dying. And that may still be true. But also in that realm, you said that you were willing to give things a try in a different way. Not immediately killing everything in your path, but searching out the best solution. I feel like this could be the right path for you. I have no doubt that it would be helpful, Brynir. I crave that peace more than anything. I just worry that I won't have the strength afterwards to return. And he kind of just bows his head a little bit and then shakes it up and down. Rolandir, at that point, he turns and he's going to walk out. His intention is purely just to take a couple minutes to walk around this main square and, you know, to have a few moments to clear his head. He goes, stands, looks at this monolith again. Um, he noticed Luna had touched it previously. He does so as well. It's cold. Not oppressively so, but it is freezing to the touch. Though it isn't sapping your strength, per se, it just feels like everything's a little lighter. Perhaps your armor's not weighing you down, and it's not that you're forgetting the burdens that have been placed upon you, physically and otherwise, but there's some sort of instillment of, dare I say, hope. And it's shocking, to say the very least. This isn't a familiar feeling, perhaps, or at least not one that's so easily instilled by a simple touch. He lingers a bit, just drinking it in. Like, he he longs for that. That is something that he really, truly is looking for. And again, as he told Brynir, he is questioning if he were to receive that in whatever measure that they are saying they could give it in, would he ever really be able to pull himself back into the ethereal Egadon? And so he just stands there, pondering for a couple more minutes. And then are the others still just standing in the Crescent Room? Luna's not going to leave. Unless anyone was, then he just is going to, you know, after a couple minutes of doing this, he'll return back uh, to find them all there. Now addressing the center bug, he says, You mentioned we must decide together what we will do. That is correct. And then he just looks one side, then to the other, at his companions. I will take the step as well. I agree to it. Good. Then tonight... You will rest, and tomorrow we will begin. With that, you aren't ushered outside, but a pair of Kraley do open the doors for you. 
there's really no sense of haste in this place. It doesn't seem like anyone is hurrying to do anything, though everyone is obviously busy doing something. And as you're brought outside in the courtyard by the Standing Stone, that same Crayley who you met at the mill walks up and says, Good day. I was asked to take you to a lodging where you could rest for the night. Is that an order? Yes, absolutely. But Mark will allow himself to be led. He nods then and leads you through the village. As I said, it's arranged kind of outward as if the roads were spokes of a wheel that kind of crisscross and run parallel to each other. Coming toward the very edge of the village to one of the only two-story structures there. And walking inside, it's much more... I don't know if refined is the right word, because that would say that these creatures, these people are unrefined. Though, it is more of a style that you are used to. It has the general makings of kind of a fellish sitting room. Though it is still not lavish in any sense, it is very Spartan. Though classy, simple. Lots of natural light. It's a two-story sitting room, as mentioned. And then there's a small stairway that leads up to a balcony where there are an arrangement of rooms. About eight in total. Four on the bottom floor and four on the top. Got our Airbnb going. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> this Crayley that led you here says, This is our guest domicile. It was constructed after a manner that we believed would be more suited to perhaps where you came from until you've embraced a different way. For now, make yourselves comfortable. I believe only one of the other rooms is occupied. Thank you. And he just bows his head and he walks out the door. Is it visibly apparent which one of these rooms is occupied? It is not. But looking around, there is kind of a kitchen seating area with a fully stocked pantry of dried and salted meats, cured fish, preserved fruits and vegetables, of all kinds that you might find, different breads, cheeses, maybe not to the level of like, you know, Le Rosa's tavern that he kept, that finery, but they aren't sparing any expenses, honestly. Well, perhaps we should bathe and eat and go to sleep. Rolander's already, like, elbows deep into the bread and cheese and everything else there. Like, he, he's starving. He hasn't eaten forever. It is like the... Because it took you a little while to go from the beach to the mill, and then from the mill to the town, and then to speak with all the others and such. So, though it was just before noon when you arrived, it's probably the late afternoon now. Not yet sunset, but approaching it. I think that Mick is going to start to feel the effects of the fatigue and the lack of rest and eating and will help himself to a healthy portion of dried meats and cheese as well. And we'll sit next to Rolandia. As everyone's kind of settling here and just taking a load off from the day, Rolandia, as he's, you know, plucking away at some grapes or what else there could be. It's fantasy grapes. It's fantasy grapes, of course. So if we are to undergo this change have some great new understanding, something thrust upon us, and then are to return to ethereal Egadon, our normal Egadon. It sounded as if the majority of our memory of this place would be wiped. And to my knowledge, everything that I had seen while I was studying among the kin gave no indication of such a place that was off-grid from the ethereals and the rest of the world. So... 
My question is, how on earth did Cad and Kelneus both know of its existence? They seem to have some fleeting recollection of the place. Perhaps they have been here before. I highly doubt that Cad had ever been to a place like this. You all know him. <laughs> I was just about to say, if, if he had undergone the change that we will be undergoing tomorrow, I don't want it. <laughs> they were also the only ones that have passed from this world. Ah, that is a good point. They have experienced true death. Kind of, you know, just impressed with this two and two that Brynjir had put together. Rolandir settles a little more deeply into the chair that he's sitting on. Yes, yes, perhaps, perhaps that is it. Well, for now, I at least will be satiated with this metaphorical death, shall I say? I am curious to see what it will teach us. This is not the first time we've been told that we'll be given some sort of, you know, grand experience and change from it, so... And more often than not, we do not take any greater understanding from it. Uh, correction, Rolandia, <laughs> you do not take any greater understanding from it. <laughs> and, he, and, he, and he waves the hand... He means to wave the hand, like, in a... Waving it off, but it's his hand that no longer has stump. the hand. <laughs> it's just his stump of an arm. And then he looks at it, and he's just... All right, point taken. It's <laughs> <laughs> amazing. Luna stifles a chuckle, and then she says, Well, it sounds like from what they're saying that there's a whole history to this world that we don't understand. Yes, that was concerning, honestly, to me. From my understanding, the ethereals always have been, always were, as the legend, or uh, can I say myth, says egg... Air, perhaps, created the world, whichever one it is, actually, and then we were. But if there was something before them, everything goes out the window. Unless it was truly all just bug people before them. Unfortunately, I think anything we learn will be taken from us when we leave. You all traveled a while back to the monasteries of the Mazkin. They're famous record keepers, even amongst humans. I'm surprised you didn't glimpse any sort of this history while you were exploring their catacombs. Val did spend some time as they were walking, like, reading on the walls. Did he see anything of it that would reference this? Nope. Must have been in that chamber that uh, with the, the big ooze guy and then the Yeah, the bog rot ate it, it all. Scratched it right off the sides. <laughs> oh, they don't need to know that. <laughs> <laughs> That's not important. Bug people, who cares? <laughs> As everybody is talking, you can tell Vamok seems a little fidgety. Like he has something that he wants to say, but he doesn't know how to say it. I think Mick would take note of this and will gesture towards Vamok and say, And what of you, Vamok? What do you think of all this? Worried that you're going to lose your instinctual habit of stabbing people? Relandia, Some... please. <laughs> I, I, of all the people in the party to speak on such things, Relandia, you are the last one. Oh, Again, he holds I, up that I, hand. I, sh <laughs> I, I share this same um, propensity with Vamok, and I am merely wondering if it's something that he fears losing. Or have we all forgotten exactly what happened? back in that other realm. And he's kind of getting a little bit worked up at this point as the images are reflashing back to him. He's really gnawing at that bread. <laughs> <laughs> he's got a chicken wing. He like snaps it. <laughs> <laughs> it's that scene in Shrek 2. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> yes. 
Yes. <laughs> um, as Rolandier does this, Mick will slowly turn his head towards him with his eyebrows raised, closing his eyes and slowly opening them towards him. <laughs> like... <laughs> How beautifully specific. <laughs> that, was, that was a great a description. <laughs> I know. He kind of gives him a gentle smile, like, go on, are you done? And no, he's not done. He he stands up now. <laughs> are you serious? And he, and he just says, or my memory is still a little fuzzy. A building collapsing on all of us. Standing at the top of it is, and he points now with his good hand with the actual finger, at Vamok, is this one. Calling down powers of nothing but destruction, followed by him deigning to have power enough to transfigure himself back out of his transformed being bestowed upon him by Tentavir himself, back to his Goliath form. I'm sorry, but I... And now he's starting to calm down a little bit. I just... Vamok. I did not know what was going to truly happen at that moment. We did lose you. You know that, right? Having worked with you and seen you in all of our training before we came through the rift, you never had any of the same aspirations or goals of the Wardens themselves. I know that. You sought for power. You sought for betterment of yourself. But that, that was something else. And he just now sits down, continues his munching. And he mutters something about hoping even these people have power to take that away from him. There is much that I wish to tell you. Much that I cannot tell you. But this I will say. I have been acting in accordance with a very specific plan, one that requires a certain amount of secrecy, and if I were to tell you all of the details, then the plan would not work. But I will say this, what you saw in that mirror realm was not a part of that plan, and it was not something that I foresaw. It was not something that I, well, perhaps... Somewhere deep inside of me, I knew that I was capable of it, but it is not something that I wished to confront. So, to prevent something like that from happening again, I have two countermeasures. The first, I would like to share some knowledge with those of you who are able to receive it. I am sure that you have seen me perform some magic that is able to at least temporarily ward off death, to bind the soul to the body and prolong life, I would wish to teach some of you the philosophy behind that, so that should you ever need it, you may have access to it, in the event that, well, as you put it, Relandir, I feel the need to stab someone. The second countermeasure comes in the form of a request. I would like to develop a spell that can bind intent. Similar to what you did, Rolandir, with the rope that you bound me with. But something much more powerful, much more focused. I have some idea, but were I to revert to a more aggressive form, 
it would be within everyone's power to neutralize my use of intent. And from there, you could easily neutralize me, even with as I am now in this altered form. I am sure that Brynir could subdue me with a certain degree of ease. In order to do something like that, Luna speaks up, intent-wise, you would need not only someone powerful, yes, but someone very focused and knowledgeable in the schools of recantation and sigildry. To imbue an item with such power is not unheard of, but difficult, to say the very least. I have no doubt any one of us, yourself included, could do it with the proper time and training. But, and trust me on this raw power and raw talent, in the realm of intent, sometimes amount to very little. A well-cast, knowledgeable spell can sometimes overpower even the most heinous brute force. If that is the case, all the more reason to seek out such a spell. Should I go on another rampage, something focused would surely be effective against raw power. In any event, I do not know if any of you will remember this conversation after we have left this place. I do not know what changes will be undergone, and I do not know what knowledge will be retained. For the sake of each of you, and for the sake of my own plans, if it comes to it, you must be ready to subdue me, or even to take my life. As Amok says that, Rolandir comes to the end of picking off his grapes off the vine, and stands back up, just slowly, straightly, just looking at Amok. Countermeasures are good, and we can have plans for all of this, but the truth of what you're actually doing would be better. And I hope we get to that point. And he's gonna walk and go to his room. Looking at the back, like I said, there's four on the bottom, and then a little staircase, balcony, and then four up there. And this is all indoors, by the way. Luna will likewise excuse herself, and if we go, like, from bottom, one, two, three, four, and then top, five, six, seven, eight, Luna will go to the eighth room. So, up the stairs to the very end. Rolandir, uh, you know, as he gets up and he hears Luna getting up behind him, he lets her pass and go up the stairs first and then he'll go up the stairs and he's gonna take the sixth room so leaving space between his room and Luna's I think it is fair to say that each of us has our fair share of grievances that we could air against each other but we are bound to each other as well and frankly I'm surprised to say this but I don't regret that I think we have to rely on each other more than we have before. I don't know what changes we will have tomorrow, but I want to help you, Vamak. And I hope that you want to help me and Mick and Brynir and Rolandir and all of us. We are also people and therefore imperfect and will probably get in each other's way quite a lot more. But whatever I can do, I will do it. Then for now, and I know in the light of recent happenings. This is a lot to ask, but I will ask it anyway. Please, trust me, and trust what I am doing. There is a purpose to it all, and you will see that in time. Val will hold out his hand to shake with Vamak. Vamak will dispel the illusion from off of his hand, just his hand, and he'll shake. Are you going to teach me your magic now? Oh, and me too. 
you forget that Mick was in the room, but <laughs> he just pops out <laughs> in the conversation. I never forget when Mick's in a room. <laughs> Very well. I hope you are well-versed in old Goliath. And he, like, pulls out kind of this musty-looking tome, you know, from, like, the folds of his robes, and he sets it on the table. Mick looks at that, thinking to himself, where did that come from? Prison pocket. <laughs> prison pocket! <laughs> it was in the pocket dimension. The prison yes. pocket dimension. Oh. <laughs> oh, I knew that was going to come out. Plane walkers, plane walkers. And we're back to Rift, kids. <laughs> oh, jeez. So... You take the requisite time to teach Mick and Val Death Ward, and then what room does he retire to? The mock will go to, like, the first unoccupied room. Room number one. Sounds good. Right beside the stairs. Oh, oh, beside the stairs? Never mind. <laughs> He'll go to room number seven. <laughs> There's too much foot traffic. Does I just... The mock definitely is not the kind of guy to want to hear like everybody walking past his room to get to the <laughs> Vamok goes to the room between uh, where we're land here and then Luna's room. Sounds good. And also just to mark, it, it was rather unceremonious of Luna to just get up and go to her room. Val is aware. <laughs> Sends a message to Val. Meet me in room eight. <laughs> no such message was given. <laughs> So Mick is going to have his last bit of cheese, is going to say to the rest of the group, well, I'm off to bed. Toodaloo. Hope you rest well. And Mick will go upstairs and retire to his room. I'm going to say room five. Just at the top of the stairs, right there. And in there, trying to remember how to cast Death Award. Mick will actually, in his satchel, take out a little sewing kit and will start to sew the instructions, if you will, into the inside panel of his satchel. Oh, I thought you were going to say on your sleeve. I like, was going to do that. Like, oh, crap, I can't remember that one thing he said. <laughs> <laughs> Just consult my notes. <laughs> hey, wait a second. Don't kill me yet. And then Mick retires for the night. So Brynir's eating thirds. <laughs> Uh, after he uh, consumes his, his fill, he'll go ahead and take room number one, being close to the stairs. Not thinking that he actually will need to go anywhere fast. It's just a precaution. Also, these rooms are quite long, though not particularly wide, though still generous. They are still sizable, and there are sizable beds. They're very soft, and all the amenities that one could desire companionship, love, a listening <laughs> ear, <laughs> hope, peace. Yes, there's a Crayley in every corner. Just <laughs> Speak to me. <laughs> Make me feel all right. Right next to a therapist's couch. <laughs> Honestly, though, that's what we need. Uh, Val will go upstairs and knock on Luna's door. Can I just say, I want to say this at the beginning, but it did not fit the tone. I'm going to say that Mick notices something's going on between... They're very chummy, and they look I feel like very stolen, close. I feel like you know, stolen glances. Yeah. No, so. I do think that you probably would have noticed that Val is the happiest that you have seen him since you met him Aww. at that yeah. party. <laughs> that is that is very... <laughs> whoa, whoa. <laughs> Not like that. That I'm will so never happy. return. <laughs> that is lost forever. 
Well, then sure. Mick, Mick, who's, I think, the most attentive, probably emotionally to everyone. Yeah. And uh, at least personally, probably recognizes Val's footsteps walking past their door as Val heads to the end of the balcony. As he's sewing. As he's sewing, he actually opens the door. Anyways, Mick will is attentive to this and hears that Val is not going to his room, but is rather going past in the direction of Luna's room. So he's going to very gently, as he continues to sew, creak open a little crack in the door and see <laughs> what's going on. As Val knocks on Luna's door, you hear just a little, come in, and it clicks and opens of its own accord. Okay, I, he- I think he genuinely wasn't expecting to be invited in and sort of like, oh, okay, and uh, we'll go inside. As this happens, Mick, you know, a small smile comes across his face and he gently closes the door. (laughs) And slips and it slams shut. (laughs) Oh, butter sticks. (laughs) In in Luna's room, as you kind of just shut the door behind you softly, the kind of open window to the balcony... Not really a balcony. It's not like a step-out balcony. It's just like a little railing outside of a window. But the this window-slash-door has been opened, and Luna's just kind of sitting on the floor looking out at the sunset over the trees. And you can hear the ocean from here. It's not too distant. Um, I wanted to say goodnight. She just uh, looks at you over her shoulder. Won't you stay a bit? Sure, yeah. And she just kind of pats the floor beside her. Val will go sit. And she just, you know, kind of leans back on her hands looking at the sky, and it is honestly just like this array of oranges and purples and pinks and reds that are otherworldly, just barely fading behind this massive silhouette of the great middle mountain of the fell. And Luna's just like, I never just looked at anything around me. Growing up in Bastion, we always had to fight for every little thing, every meal, every bed. It was never ours. We had to fight to get it, and we had to fight to keep it. And in these past, I don't know how long it's been, however many months we've been traveling together, all these luxuries have come so easy to everyone, and especially you, and I just still feel... I don't know. She looks at the bed, which is like done up nicely she's like it, it still feels so distant that i'd quite honestly feel safer sleeping under a crate or something and yet yeah, i mean there are chairs facing the window and she has elected to sit on the floor so mm-hmm. well i mean this might sound stupid but if that makes you feel more comfortable and safer then you can do it perhaps that's one of these scars that they're talking about that's not going to be healed, per se, or however they said it, put it, whatever. But just something to live past or live with. I don't know, I... I wouldn't mind feeling warm and safe in a bed sometime. But it's not going to be tonight. It's not going to be tomorrow night. I don't know. That's not normal, is it? Well, I mean, contrastly to you, I was not allowed to leave my house for a decade. My parents were very embarrassed of me, and the things that I said at parties in front of their friends and forced me to stay at home. And I I had many things that you did not, but I was alone. 
and um, don't know, there are ups and downs and goods and bads to every situation, and they will always affect what you do in the present, but they don't have to govern it. Is Val kind of mirroring her sitting, like just, you know, kind of leaning back on his hand? Yeah, absolutely. Well, then she'll just like slide her hand over and put it on yours, and she'll say, I think that's one thing, at least for me, is that I was never alone. Yeah, we fought, but there was a we. There were times, of course, where it was just me by myself, but they were few and far between, and looking back, I can hardly remember them. It's strange, really, what memory does. There was always someone looking out for me, and if not that, I was looking out for someone. It's just how things go when you're living as we did. And honestly, I don't see it. It's too much different than how we're living now. And it's nice, again, to have someone looking out for me and be looking out for someone. I agree. I will stay if you want. Perhaps not tonight. But I'm sorry. I just... No, not at all. This, and she just gestures to the room, is a little much for me. I might take a walk, find myself in some simpler abode, and wouldn't want to worry you in the morning. All right. Luna will just stand and kind of lead you back to the door then. And thank you, I guess. And good night. Good night to you. And then she'll just give your hand a little squeeze and shut the door. Val will find the final unoccupied room. There's three. One of those unoccupied rooms. <laughs> yeah. Next to Brynir, the one beside that, or door number four. Val will go to the room next to Brynir's. Okay. And everyone gets this well-deserved rest. And for those who touched the stone or came near it, there is this same sense of cold, calm, gentle peace that permeates the air and your dreams and your sleep in this strange new land.